Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, episode 55, Is Marijuana Addictive? And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. This is Dr. Donna Bevanley helping you heal your family legacy. So last time I talked about how to heal and recover from alcoholism. And I promised that I was going to talk about other drugs. And so today I am going to talk about marijuana. Don't, don't turn it off. <laughs> Just hear me out. Um, <clears throat> because I'll start out by saying that I do believe that marijuana should be legalized. I don't think that people should be in jail or prison for smoking, growing, or, you know, owning, having marijuana. Um, making it illegal just makes it more interesting to people. And we know from back in the, the 20s, when they tried to make alcohol illegal, that it just increased the number of people who became alcoholics. <laughs> So, yeah, I, you know, I, I do believe that with marijuana at this point anyway, that people should have access to it if they want to use it. Uh, but I'm going to talk about it today in terms of is it addictive? Can it be problematic? So, you know, being seen as an expert in the field of addictions, because I've probably worked with people in addictions longer than some of you have been alive. So, since 1978, so you know that I've been in addiction work uh, longer than most of you have been alive. So I think I can talk about it from a perspective of having worked with people who have had problems with marijuana, not just because they've been arrested. Um, and I can also give you some suggestions about where you could go to read about it and that's in most addictive you know go into most like um, journals of addiction because they talk about it there you could also probably talk to anybody in a 
a Marijuana Anonymous meeting or go to any kind of uh, Drug Addicts Anonymous meeting or Narcotics Anonymous meeting or Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and listen to people talk about their issues with marijuana. What we know about marijuana is that it has THC. THC is the active ingredient in marijuana. And there is, you know, THC is not in most, say, uh, CBD, creams, ointments. You know, it's not in those things. And CBD is the ingredient that helps people, like when you put that, CBD oil or CBD cream on your body, say joints. I think it does help. I mean, I have a lot of joint issues myself. And on some, you know, I always have a little tin of CBD salve that I can put on my joints. And it just makes, you know, makes it easier. Does it take some of the pain away? And that seems to be pretty reasonable. And you can get that. And you know, anywhere really, and uh, it will help you. So I'm going to talk about the kind that you eat and drink, which always has THC, or not drink, (laughs) smoke. Okay, marijuana has THC, and that is the active ingredient that gets you high. Now, what we know is that when you smoke marijuana, the smoke goes into your brain, THC, because that's where, oh, that's where Houston is, right? It's your brain. It's where everything happens. It's where pain happens. That's where pain management happens. That's where your emotions are. That's where your thinking is. Everything's in your brain. So I would say you want to take care of that brain because when it starts acting up, you get diseases like Parkinson's disease. You get uh, dementia, you get depression, you get all kinds of problems. Any problem that's going on with your body or your brain happens in your brain. What happens with marijuana is that smoke goes into your brain and the THC gets stuck there. It's a sticky substance. And if you've ever been, you know, been dabbing, which is just smoking you know, getting the THC out of the marijuana plant and smoking that, then you know that it's sticky because when you're smoking it, you have to like, you know, people who dab, they have like permanent black stuff on their their fingers from dealing with that stuff. That gets stuck in your brain. It's sticky. And when it goes into your brain, it goes into those little neurons that cause, that make them fire, make you feel energized, excited, interested. Those are firing neurons. What THC does is it sticks to those little neurons and they don't fire anymore. Plain and simple. Now, What THC does when those neurons stop firing, it gives you the sensation of being calm. Okay? So if you know of anybody or you yourself has noticed that, well, I just feel calmer when I'm smoking pot. 
Well, yeah, because your neurons aren't firing like they normally do. Now, we can get new neurons if it's not, if our brain isn't too damaged. We can grow new neurons. We know that. But if your brain is all, if those, you know, the uh, neural canals that go to those neurons, if they're damaged because they're all blocked up with THC, there's no neurons. That, that part of your brain is just going to die. Now, if you are an occasional pot smoker, say you smoke pot, you know, when you go to the concert, okay? You don't go to a concert every single day, unless, of course, you're playing the instruments. <laughs> and that that's a whole other story, because they've got some brain issues going on when they smoke pot all the time. But if you get high in, at a concert, it's probably not going to cause you to have long-term brain damage. But, you know, the THC is still in your brain. It There's no way for it to get out. Think about that. So when I talk about alcoholism, you know, people get so sick with their alcoholism that they get a thing we call Korsakoff syndrome, all right, or wet brain. We also call that wet brain. We know now that if they stay sober, many times their brain will get restoration, will get grow new neurons. But see, alcohol's out of your system at some point, and it might cause brain damage, but because the brain itself isn't injured in the same way that it's injured when you smoke too much pot, it doesn't have THC and those plaques and tangles that get get into your brain and can't get out because it's stuck. It's like glue. So, people I know who have been addicted to marijuana usually would show up in my office. Sometimes they get, you know, uh, driving under the influence. But most of the time they don't drive anywhere. Because they don't feel like driving anywhere. Because they're just like staying at home and smoking pot and eating. Most people who are chronic and, you know, what I call into their addiction of pot, meaning that their, you know, their brains aren't working as well anymore and those neurons aren't firing. It's like they don't care. So I'd say, so they end up in my office because... Maybe their job says, you know, you're just not performing anymore. We don't know what the problem is, but you're not doing your job. So, And we've given you all these different counseling sessions. It's all documented. And now we've you know, given you two years to get back up to snuff. And you might feel like, well, I've been trying. Well, guess what? When those neurons are now stuck and you can't even grow new ones the thing that goes away when you know the thing that happens when the neurons are firing is that you get energized you get excited you get you know people whose brains are firing on all their neurons are interesting they think of new things they think of new ideas they're engaging you know they're able to conduct business because they're 
neurons are firing. Those neurons aren't firing anymore, and they're not going to grow back. So what we know of marijuana is that once your brain is impacted, it's not really going to be very possible to return to the state that you used to be. You're just not going to feel excited. Okay? This is long-term. The people I've seen that have lost their jobs, say, they don't show up because they've lost their job two, you know, after two weeks on the job or after three years on the job. They've been promoted. They're in positions where, you know, they are you know, supervising other people. And that's when they stop being able to work very well. Okay? This doesn't happen in a few years. This happens over long term. Regular, daily, every other day, smoking pot. Like I said, if you smoke it, when you go to a concert, you're probably fine. I mean, I so far the research on this has shown that, you know, it's like, We have so many brain cells that even if we lose a few, we're going to be okay. So if you lose a few every month or twice a year or something, you're going to be fine. Or you go over to your friend's house and you're going to, you know, have a little, smoke a little pot to like ease up. But I'll tell you, don't make a habit of it. Your body might not desire it in the same way that alcohol does because when you when you become an alcoholic you every cell in your body is screaming for it okay you got to have it and the only way sometimes you can get through a day of work is to know that you can go home and have a few drinks but with pot it sneaks up on you okay you aren't craving it what happens is that you just end up not caring very much about Well, whether or not you're going to be sexual with your spouse, whether or not you're going to go, you know, it's like, you want me to go to a teacher, parent-teacher meeting? It's at night. I can't do it at night because I go to bed really early. Why? Because, well, I smoke pot and those whatever neurons I got left just get calmed down. Then they get stuck together. And guess what? I just don't feel motivated for anything. And that's what I hear from people who have long-term, who've been using pot for a long time, is that they just don't have any motivation to do anything anymore. In fact, they don't stay in therapy very long, not because they don't like what they hear. They might be a little bit horrified because I say, well, if you start working now, you can Preserve what you have left, but you have to stop smoking pot. Well, I don't really care. (laughs) Yeah, if my wife leaves, that's fine. You know, I'll be sad, but, you know, but what they're thinking is that, well, I'll just smoke a few and then I'll feel better. And they're not out driving around for the most part because they don't go anywhere except to get food, maybe used to go to their job. But I think you catch my drift. 
You never know. It happens so slowly over time that you don't notice it. And really, neither neither does anyone else. Unless it's, you know, if it's still against the law where you are, they might notice it. Then you might not get noticed and you might go to jail. Okay, but, you know, if if it's legal where it is, you know, in a lot of places now, and it's on the ballot to be legalized. I don't think jail is a place. I think telling kids, telling people what the, that THC does to their brain, and, you know, I, you know, it's so hard because I know these days when you give people evidence, it doesn't matter if they've already made up their mind. Okay, if you've already made up your mind that marijuana is fine, it doesn't hurt anybody, then nothing I say is going to make you think about it, all right? But if there is an educational process, like, say, in school, and rather than say, never smoke marijuana, say, well, you know, if you're going to smoke marijuana, you just have to respect it like you would any other drug, right? It's like you have to respect alcohol is a drug. And so if you want to drink, drink responsibly, right? If you're going to go to your friend's house and watch a game and you want to have three beers, take three beers and and decide that you're going to stay there for at least five or six hours so that you're not driving drunk. Drink responsibly. If you want to have a glass of wine with dinner, have a glass of wine with dinner. Not three glasses of wine with dinner. Not a bottle of wine with dinner. That's too much. Our bodies can't detoxify it fast enough to get in the car and drive home after dinner. If you want to have a bottle of wine with dinner on Saturday night with your spouse, you have a bottle of wine with dinner once a month. Not every single weekend. That builds up. So if you want to smoke pot, think about it. Use the brain we have, that frontal lobe. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about We are human animals. We are part of the animal kingdom, whether you like it or not. We are mammals. That's why if you live in the northern part of the northern hemisphere or in the way southern part of the southern hemisphere, the farther you get to the poles, the more you want to hibernate during your winter times. (laughs) Okay? All mammals do it. Human beings, we're human animals. We wish we could. We'd like to sleep more. We'd like to work less. We'd like to get, you know, like to not worry about those few pounds that just about everybody puts on in wintertime. Because why? Our body is saying it's time to hibernate. We shouldn't be as active as we normally are in the winter. If you've ever lived in a place like Seattle, which I lived in for about 35 years, I couldn't help but notice, and I started just referring to it, the state of Washington 
And you really notice it in Seattle because it's dark, 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 dark in the winter. It's not about the rain, people. The rain's fine. It's good. It cleans the air. It's all good, right? It's about the dark. Okay? So if you live there, you live in an environment that is basically what we would clinically call bipolar. In the winter, there's this like, everybody gets kind of like not social. People want to stay home. It's a drag to go to work. You drag yourself out of bed. You go to work. It's dark. You come home from work. It's dark. You go to bed earlier. You have to sleep not eight hours, but 10 hours. Everybody puts on weight. Because they're basically trying to hibernate. I always start to go to work, still take care of the kids, still do. Kids, too. You know, they're less likely to be energetic and, oh, let's play outside. They don't go outside. Hardly anyone's outside. When I lived in Seattle, and especially uh, the last couple years of my practice there, um, and I still go back on a regular basis, but I always walked to work. And it was a couple miles. I'd walk to work. And because I started at 7 o'clock in the morning, I was out walking to work at about 5.30 in the morning. And by the time I got to work, there was still hardly anyone out there. In the summertime, when I'd walk to work, well, the sun in Seattle wakes up at about, oh, 4 o'clock in the morning. And it's still light at 10, all right? And so when I'd walk to work at 5.30 in the morning, There'd be people out running and jogging and, you know, already in coffee shops. <laughs> it was ridiculous. They'd be driving their cars, stop, go get groceries. They're hyper in the wintertime. They're still out running and playing and having fun or staying up late and are getting by on six hours a night. And in the winter, they're struggling to get on 10 they're struggling to get by on 10 hours a night. So basically, they're hibernating. We are human animals. Okay? And that means that the thing that makes us different from other animals is the ability to, like Jiminy Cricket said, and if you don't know him, look him up. You can think, you can reason, you can read. That separates us, we think, from the rest of the animal population. Now, I realize that there is some indication that some of the higher level whales, dolphins, you know, gorillas, monkeys, they also seem to be able to reason and they seem to be able to think. I don't know if any of them can read yet. But the thing that separates us, my point is, is that this frontal lobe, the front of our brain, that isn't really completely formed until we're about 25, is the executive function of our brain happens there. And by executive function means we can think and we can reason. And whoever you think created us, God, the universe, the creator, whatever, is that that part of who we are 
is the most important part of our brain when we live. (laughs) Without it, we'd say, oh, look at that pretty fire engine coming down the road. I think I'll go hug it. All right? That's called, I can't reason this thing out. I can't critically think and know that that's a thing that we should not step in front of. Or even know what it's for. We'd just go, oh, isn't that sound pretty? Not pretty looking thing, right? When you have a baby around and you're an active parent, you know that you, a toddler, okay? A toddler. Their frontal lobe is about as big as a grape. Well, maybe it's a little bigger, but okay. It's not very big. So it doesn't really function very well. And so if you've ever had a toddler around, you know you have to follow it around all the time. Because they'll go over and stick their hand in the fireplace when it's going. They'll walk out into traffic. They'll go over and pick up a snake. Because it's all interesting to them. Their frontal lobe isn't telling them, oh, danger zone. (laughs) They don't have that brain activity going on yet. But as an adult, you do. And so my challenge to you would be to take information that is researched, that is documented, not just because I say so or somebody else. Take people who know. I do know, so you can listen to me, because I have spent years and years and years working with people who have addictions and problems with drugs. And The drugs that are most accessible to us right now are, in my opinion, three of the most addictive drugs for, if you had opiates and narcotics, we can get those. They're legal. We can get them either through a doctor, you know, with opiates and narcotics. We can get through those. They're the most dangerous drugs of all. They're dangerous. Heroin is probably the least dangerous. We get addicted to it, but it won't kill us unless we overdose on it. You can OD on opiates and not know it. You can OD on narcotics and not own it. When you smoke pot, it takes a long time to see the damage. But if you just think about the fact that every time I smoke pot, There's THC goes in my brain and sticks together. Think about that. If you do it once in a while, you've got plenty of cells there that you can rely on. But if you do it often, you're going to be showing up in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and you don't care about anything. You have no motivation to do anything but sit and smoke it some more. Not because your body's screaming out for it. You're used to it. It's a habit. But because you don't care. You cease caring. So if you're, you know, 150 pounds overweight because you've been smoking pot all those years and now you're, you know, you've just been eating too much and you're not moving around, you don't care. And when you don't care, people don't want to be around you. 
you know, even other people who are like been smoking with you for all that time, they might want to be around you, but there's no relationship because <laughs> you don't care and neither do they. And that's the problem with marijuana. I don't really think it's addictive. I think that you can get used to it and it makes you feel better until it doesn't. Like all drugs. It makes you feel better until it doesn't. And you have to smoke more and more and more of it to feel better. But all that while, the THC is sticking to your brain cells. So if you're a person who actually thinks about things before you do them, I'd like you to think about that. I'm not going to tell you not to do it. Some people get paranoid on marijuana, but they're fewer. Okay? It's really the impact is on your brain over time, and it's permanent. There's no way to turn back that tide. So if you still have some brain cells left, stop. (laughs) Okay. We are going to talk about opiates and narcotics next time that we talk about addictions. So think about that. Think about these things. It doesn't make you bad if you have a problem with alcohol or drugs. It just makes you sick. So get well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2022, Dr. Donna Bevanley, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.